Support for this podcast and the following message come from Gaia.com, the on-demand streaming TV service that helps you achieve your highest potential at your convenience. To get your first month at only 99 cents, visit GAIA.com forward slash My 7 Chakras. My 7 Chakras, episode 206. All true living is meeting. The 7 Chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple what are the functions of these energy centers and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose welcome to my seven chakras and now your host aditya jai kumar What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, your host and founder of My 7 Chakras, a show where we dive deep into the ancient world to uncover nuggets of wisdom to help you understand how the universe around you works. So if you're looking for actionable steps to transform your life, then you are listening to the right show. As always, before diving into today's episode, let's listen to today's iTunes rating and review written by a listener from Canada named Zenken, who writes, I came across this podcast as a friend, Dr. Chris Friesen was a guest. I immediately fell in love with the show. The episodes are to the point and very informative. I love how this more than any other podcast, by listening, you're joining the Action Tribe. It's a movement and the host Aditya really makes you feel like you're part of something bigger. So Zen, thank you so much for the review and you are correct. My goal is to create an experience that is far beyond the podcast that you are enjoying right now. When you're part of Action Tribe, you are part of something bigger than your individual self and you are partaking in a global human revolution. Now, action takers, if you want your voice and your thoughts to be shared as well, it's really, really simple to write your own review. All you need to do is go to the podcast homepage, hit the review button and then hit write a review. And if you want to email me instead, you can send an email to aj at my7chakras.com. That's aj at my7chakras.com. And with that out of the way, it's time to introduce you to our featured guest for today, Linda Lerhaupt. So, Linda, are you ready to inspire? Uh, yes. That's wonderful. So, Dr. Linda Lerhaupt is the founder and director of the Institute for Mindfulness-Based Approaches, one of the largest professional training institutes of its kind in Europe. Linda holds a BA in education, a PhD in performance studies, and has been a teacher in secondary and adult education for more than 45 years, specializing in interdisciplinary curriculum development. In 1978, she began the practices of Tai Chi and Qigong and went on to train with some of the leading first-generation Chinese teachers in the West. For more than 20 years, she directed innovative teacher training programs in meditative movement. She is also the co-author of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, the book that we are going to talk about today. So, Linda, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Ajay. So, in that case, let's uh, dive right in. My question to you is, what is your favorite inspirational quote and how does that quote apply to your day-to-day life? Well, one of my truly favorite quotes is by the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber and the quote is, all true living is meeting. I repeat, all true living is meeting. And you ask how that has inspired me and I really think that 
one of the greatest joys of my life is when I began to come, become more connected mm -hmm. to the world around me, to the environment, to my family, to my students, to my life. And sometimes when I was really caught up and very busy or very stressed um, and didn't really know how to come back to simply meeting this life as it is, um, it was very difficult. And so that when I came across that quote, it immediately spoke to me. And that's why I'd like to share it with your listeners. Wonderful. That's a really, really profound quote. All true living is meeting. Is that correct? That's correct. Wonderful. So Action Tribe, everything around you is connected your family, your friends, nature, universe, and through practices in, such as mindfulness, you can actually reestablish that connect that you have with the universe around you. And we're going to learn more about how you can do that. But uh, Linda, to begin with, what exactly is MBSR? MBSR is the abbreviation for a program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. MBSR was developed in 1979 by Professor John Kabat-Zinn, at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center to provide an intensive training in mindfulness for people who were experiencing stress. Stress could be defined as living with a serious uh, or debilitating illness, uh, having faced difficult life events like losing someone's uh, love or losing one's job or um, in some cases one's house burning down. Uh, stress is a very general word which generally refers that people use when they feel that life is running away from them and when they feel overwhelmed. So this is a evidence-based, scientifically researched program which takes place in the form of an eight-week course, mainly in the form of an eight-week course, where participants come once a week uh, for two and a half to three hours. And between the sixth and seventh week, there's a day of practice, which is kind of a retreat, where one practices the exercises one has been learning in class. And as an intensive training in mindfulness, MBSR is actually the mother of um, all of the MBS, uh, mindfulness programs that exist today. Um, John Kabat-Zinn's program uh, is inspirational, and also its structure uh, very heavily influenced a lot of the programs that are around today, whether they be compassion training or mm -hmm. programs like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or mindful parenting programs. Um, that's kind of the one that started it all. And tens and tens of thousands of people around the world have participated in this program. And since the last, well, let's say the last 25 years, and particularly in the last 15 years, it's really gained momentum. Momentum and is taught all over the world on every continent. Um, it might even be practiced on Antarctica when, when scientists are, you know, shut up for seven months and, yeah. and maybe practicing mindfulness with online courses or whatever. So it's really become a way to not only reestablish contact with oneself, but with one's life and the life that we so often um, turn away from or runs away from us. You know? Got it. So that's you Got it. So you mentioned that it was developed in 1979 at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center for people experiencing stress. And as you mentioned so rightly, stress is often caused when people feel that life is running away from them. So, And also I loved your example of uh, people who are in Antarctica for months and months together just seeing white and they're probably a blip on, on that huge mass of ice, the only warm object. And of course, I'm sure they're going through so 
many emotions, so many stress, levels of stress, being away from family, uh, extreme temperatures. So yes, uh, that is a really, really good example of maybe a team that needs this program or is already using this program, uh, like you've suggested. Now, I've read that... Now, I just wanted to add that it sounds like like it's an extreme example. And actually, the reason I brought it up is because I know a supervisor who was actually coaching a team that was really? stationed in Antarctica. But we have our Antarcticas on every corner and in every home and in every work situation. Um, and really how we meet them in the sense defined by Martin Buba, how do we meet life in a way that we can appreciate it as a gift that it is, that it is, but at the same time can also give us uh, a sense of connection and a sense of depth in our life. Got it. And I love that you said that we might have an Antarctica in every home. And my question is for individuals experiencing uh, these challenges, right? You, you said that MBSR is for individuals experiencing stress resulting from chronic or chronic physical or psychological conditions. Is that correct? Could you talk to us about some of these conditions um, that lead to stress? Well, first of all, there is the... the um, the aspect of illness. Uh, okay. Many people today are suffering not from what is more and more being clear a stress-related illness. I think they've now the studies are now showing that almost 80% or 85% of health issues are directly related to stress. Um, and by stress is not just a psychological phenomenon; it has a physical effect on the body. Stress has been shown to increase blood pressure, to um, play a prominent role in all sorts of gastrointestinal disorders, in orthopedic problems, um, in depression, in anxiety uh, problems, in poor concentration, in also illnesses like diabetes, and basically heart trouble. Um, there's a direct correlation between mm. the mind and the body, as we now know and as we now respect. And um, so that's stress has a very physical element as well as having, of course, a, an influence on our mental health. Wow, that is really, really interesting. You mentioned that 80% of illnesses are directly related to stress. And stress is not just mental. It has physical symptoms as well. Now, I want to talk a bit about the brain now. Could you talk to us about what happens in the brain when someone is doing a mindfulness meditation or practice? What happens in the brain? Um, well, let me put it this way. Let's, uh, let's look at the premise. I'm not so much a neuroscientist. I mean, there are all sorts of studies now yeah. to show that when People practice meditation. Um, it can be measured. It can, on MRI machines, photos can can document exactly right. what parts of the brain are lit up if somebody is practicing, for example, an awareness of breathing meditation or something is someone is practicing the compassion training. Um, there's those famous covers, uh, time covers of Tibetan monks being hooked up to uh, electrodes. So the documentation is quite clear that yeah. when we practice meditation exercises and the more we practice them, the more often. Um, but even studies have shown, for example, that after an eight-week course in MBSR, um, people are showing increased immunity. Um, patients uh, who have not done MBSR and those who have 
are given um, flu vaccinations, and they're shown that actually the response uh, is measurable, even after an eight-week course. So we're not just talking about people who have practiced for tens of thousands of hours. A mindfulness has been shown to have a very positive effect, even after a relatively short time. However, it does require a certain amount of consistency uh, to practice. It's not a one-off kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, many, many people, as they begin to practice, and they can experience you know, the, the learning challenges that happen when we learn anything new, um, but nevertheless often experience a real shift in their perspective. And that is really the key to stress, shifting the perspective, you know, because life is what is it, what it is. And as the famous researcher Hans Dehler says, yeah. stress is not the situation itself, but how we re- react to it. And that's a key aspect, mindfulness. It helps us to begin to open up our perspectives so that we're not no longer caught in a very narrow band of how we react, but we can actually, in practicing, develop a response which is far more life-enhancing and life-supporting. Got it. So what you just said reminded me of uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who said that when you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at begin to change as well. And love that you brought into the picture, the concept of perspective, which is it's not just the stress, but how you react to the stress that can actually change your health, change your immune system and change your life as well. Now, for those who are really, really interested in this eight week long program, could you walk us through what exactly happens during these eight weeks? I know you gave us like a brief overview, but I'm sure many people are, you know, yearning to learn a bit more about what happens. Well, the thing about MBSR courses is that they're available all over the United States and Canada. Wow. Um, there have been many uh, teachers who have trained to teach these methods, and they're available in all sorts of settings. They're available in hospitals in private practices, in adult education centers, um, even in fitness centers, in yoga schools, uh, in and many university training programs such as medical schools, nursing schools, and departments of psychology are actually also introducing uh, MBSR courses for uh, students who are training because uh, it's found to be so beneficial. So if, if people are part- interested in participating, if they just put in MBSR, for example, Vancouver, where I know you are, in fact, I have a colleague who teaches MBSR courses in Vancouver, uh, they'll be able to find very accessible uh, opportunities to enroll in an MBSR course. And basically, it's an eight-week course, uh, and people, it's important to go to the orientation evening before it begins, because okay. one needs to be really informed about the program. Um, There are four main meditation exercises that are taught, the body scan, a 45-minute gentle yoga sequence, sitting meditation, and walking meditation. And these are trained and taught within uh, the structure of the program. Participants are also asked to practice up to an hour per day, and they are given audio material, so they simply put on the audio and they practice along with it. There's a lot of opportunity in the class for discussion, for sharing, for teaching also. A teacher will give certain information. But it's really about having an opportunity to explore certain themes Mm -hmm. that can really play a very important factor in helping us to alleviate stress. For example, we have one unit of the program that's devoted to mindful communication because communication is one of the, difficult communication is one of the highest sources of stresses that we encounter. 
as human beings. Um, there's also programs about how to, there's also themes about being with our emotions in a mindful way. Um, and so it is a kind of a intensive training that really allows us to bring mindfulness also into our everyday life. Because not only is the emphasis on formal exercises, but there's also a lot of emphasis about how I can practice mindful eating, how can mm. I can practice my everyday activities as mindfulness tasks, mindfulness at work, um, you know, really connecting again to being in the present moment rather than being lost in the past or lost in the future. And that's a tremendous resource when we can ground right now, here and yet, and, and be much more stable and centered in facing whatever we have to face, whether it's joy or whether it's sorrow, whether it's stress or whether it's um, a joyful walk in the woods. Really beginning to appreciate the life that we have in a way that might have not been so present since we were children. Children often practice mindfulness naturally, although with the stress today, that's not often the case. Many, many children, in fact, the studies are showing, are suffering from stress-related symptoms as well. Got it. So that's a good story. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is it's not just about certain techniques of mindfulness, but it's about looking at your entire life in a very mindful way, right? Adopting the mindful lifestyle, whether you're eating, whether you're at work, or maybe handling your emotions or conversations. So it's like a mindful lifestyle. And I love that idea. Yeah, I, think, I think that's very important. I'd like to emphasize that. Mindfulness is not a technique. Mm -hmm. We do learn certain skills and certain ways of practicing, but it is really about integrating mindfulness into our whole life. And we often use the expression, it is a way of being. Got it. Now, your, your journey began way back in 1978 when you began practicing Tai Chi and Qigong. Am I, am I right? That's correct, yes. So do you still practice Qigong and Tai Chi these days? I do practice for myself. I do practice privately. Um, but I stopped teaching about 15 years ago when I founded the Institute because uh, the demands of the Institute, as large and as we are, have overtaken. But I still do practice on my own. Love that. So what got you interested in these ancient Chinese practices in the first place? How did it all begin? Well, it's very interesting. I was in California doing research for my doctoral dissertation, uh, and I was interviewing a theater group, um, the Mexican Farm Workers Theater, which was a very interesting um, group and I took a walk with one of the um, actors and we were walking in the mountains and he said oh it's so beautiful I have to do my form I said what form and he said well let's just have a seat and watch and he began to do the Tai Chi form now I had absolutely no idea <laughs> what Tai Chi was and this is 1976 it wasn't on every corner but as I watched him doing the form I was mesmerized and I thought to myself, this is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen, and I've got to learn. And so it was very instinctual. Uh, again, I had no idea what it was doing, <laughs> but I was immediately, um, I felt a sense of peace and centeredness just watching him, and that was something I felt I really needed in my life. So that's what got me started on Tai Chi, and Qigong, uh, a year later in the school where I was practicing Tai Chi, there was an announcement on the board one day, Qigong, I said, what's that? <laughs> again, I had no idea. And uh, I turned up at the class, and again, I was just, um, I was so touched by the practice and by the teacher. And so I just, again, dived in. So that's how I got into those. And they became actually 
I would say, lifesavers. About that time, I had very, very difficult personal and family crises that I was facing, that I was experiencing myself, and they really were my lifeline. Uh, tai Chi and Qigong. The classes and my practice really helped me to um, stay, you know, grounded and be able to deal with the very difficult situations that I had to deal with. Got it. So for those of our listeners who are planning to jump onto Google and find out what is Tai Chi and Qigong, could you give us a brief overview of what's the difference between Tai Chi and Qigong? For me, you know, a lot of people try to make differences with things. For me, I'm a little bit more whole about things. Um, you could say that basically uh, Qigong, from what we know from archaeological and academic study, Qigong as a form of Chinese health exercises that work with the principles of Chinese medicine and Chinese science uh, probably goes back at least two and a half thousand years, if not longer. They have found uh, books in archaeological digs which show which are that old. And Tai Chi evolved Probably around the Middle Ages, um, it was related to the practices of Taoist monks, uh, but they also practiced, practiced forms of Qigong. So if you define Qigong and Tai Chi as Chinese health exercises, my take on it is that Tai Chi is a branch mm-hmm. of Qigong, so to speak, which does generally have both health-enhancing activities, but also was practiced as a martial art. So it's just a question of degree, but they all involve the principles of working with vital energy or with qi, and that's the way I tend to look at them. But qigong tends to be today a little bit more focused on health, Mm -hmm. um, and qi has more movement, and it does have also um, martial applications, but is basically practiced today for its health and movement, uh, health-giving activities, as well as it's it's a way of it's also a lifestyle. I wrote a book about 15 years ago to called Tai Chi as a Path of Wisdom, yeah. and these are paths of bringing the Taoist principles as well as life-enhancing principles into our life. So yeah, and for me, they very much had that function. I, I loved. My life, I loved doing the forms, and I loved how it began to um, influence me to begin, for example, to experience softness. Mm-hmm. You know, I was somebody who came from New York. I was used to uh, pushing and getting and using a lot of power. And Tai Chi and Qigong really are about how to work with a power that's not hard and brittle and fast, but soft and flowing and deep. And that more and more came to influence my life. So I really admire the genuine curiosity and wonder that you have about life. And I'm sure those were really important elements in your growth and development. You mentioned that you were in California many years back. You were taking a walk with one of the actors and on the mountain, he noticed the beauty around him. And he said that I have to do my form. And as you watched him do the Tai Chi form, you were really mesmerized. And that sort of began your journey. And later on, you learned Qi Kung as well. So sort of brings to my mind, Action Tribe, if you want to inspire someone, don't tell, show them. So thanks a lot for sharing that story. So uh, Linda, how have those practices shaped your work in mindfulness? Well, I have to add, I have to add something that in, 19, in 1979, so just two years later, I began practicing Zen meditation, which uh, for me had a very profound uh, influence on my life. Because up until that point, I had been doing movement forms, okay. and my Zen meditation practice was a practice of stillness. 
And that probably was even more challenging for me. When I was first introduced to Zen meditation or silent sitting meditation, I was actually, um, I didn't like it very much. <laughs> I was jumpy. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to get up and move. Yeah. But I knew at that moment of sitting down that there was something that I needed to learn. And I was inspired by the people around me who were all sitting very still and yet very present. And I knew there was something I had to learn there. And that began my journey in sitting meditation and in Zen, uh, to which I have uh, profoundly deepened over the years. And in fact, today I'm also a Zen teacher for a sensei. So those three things were very, very part, much part of my life until 1992 when I picked up a book called Full Catastrophe Living, okay. which was John Kabat-Zinn's description of the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. And that got me started on my life's work, which has been my work now for 25 years, training in mindfulness and teaching mindfulness, and then later going on to train others. Got it. So what would you like to know? Yeah. So I just wanted to know, like you mentioned, you, you, you started with Tai Chi, learned Qigong, and of course, you learned Zen meditation as well. So it seems like a beautiful evolution. How have those practices influenced your work in mindfulness? Well, really, they're the foundation of being able to be a mindfulness teacher. I mean, one of the really important aspects of training in anything is, um, and you said it early on in the program, it's not about talking, it's about doing. Yeah. You know? So all these practices, um, we can talk about them to the end of our days, and there are wonderful books about it. But the real learning of it or becomes when we practice ourselves. And it's not about perfection. It's not about being the best of the best. It's really about putting our heart, mind, and body into a practice which allows us to deepen and grow and to also benefit from the particular aspects uh, of what we're doing. So to be a mindfulness teacher, it really requires, and there's no way around this, although some people are, trying to shortcut this, uh, and saying this in a very gentle way, we all know if you want to teach something, or whether, whatever it is, when you can embody it, the kind of transfer teaching that happens is beyond simply intellectual or talking about, but it's about really being able to allow period people to experience that, and they become motivated, and then they can begin to practice themselves in their life. So when I saw, when I read about MBSR, I just was so inspired and I felt that I had found my future work because it combined both my pedagogic skills mm -hmm. as well as my movement skills, meditation skills in a form which I felt that I could truly be of service to others by sharing with them the practice of mindfulness. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that. Uh, now, our listeners really, really love hearing stories. So could you talk to us about a person who went through the course, the eight-week course, had a challenge getting in, but experienced a transformation as a result of the experience and the process? Well, maybe I can refer to a story in my book, which I, I when a student told me this, I was, I was deeply moved by it. This involves an eight, a man in his, well, early, late 50s, a father, who had suffered two serious, very serious heart attacks and um, had a very, well, could have actually a heart, heart attack almost any time. And he enrolled in an MBSR course, and when he first arrived, um, our people come from all walks of life, and they're very different. Um, and it's not about just being for a particular kind of person, but he said, I really need to learn this, but I don't know if I can. 
I said, okay, well, that's we can start with that. And what happened was he described himself that he had a tendency to fly off the handle at, at, at anything, and particularly in relationship to his son. And so he described a situation about six weeks into the course where, and he had been practicing quite faithfully because he literally said, my life is on the line, I have to do something. And he described the situation of having asked his son, who was about 21 years old, uh, when he came home from university to please buy some ingredients from the supermarket because he wanted to cook a meal for his family. Mm. He enjoyed cooking. He was tired now. And when his son came home, he said, oh, sorry, Dad, I forgot, and just went up to his room and slammed the door and put on the record player. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, (laughs) something else. And the father described how he began his, his, he began to breathe heavily, his face got flushed, he was having all sorts of really angry thoughts, and he started walking up the stairs, and his heart was pounding, mm-hmm. and he was about to bang on the door, and he, he remembered his practice for a moment. He, he remembered, stop, stop. And he put his hand on his heart, because that kind of helped him to calm down, and he saw that he was actually risking, he was having all sorts of excessive phys- physical symptoms of irritation and anger, and he just for a moment, he stopped, he took one deep breath, and he said, it's not worth another heart attack. And in that moment of calming down, so to speak, he was still agitated, but he was already beginning to go the other way. The door opens, his son comes out, sees his father's in distress, said, Dad, Dad, what's the matter? Can I help you? Should I call the doctor? And he realized in that moment that he had all sorts of ideas. My son doesn't love me. He doesn't care. He's no good. Mm-hmm. And he realized that it was completely untrue. And so his son ran off, got the food, and But the most important thing was he was able to practice one mindful breath, which he had been practicing for weeks. But in that moment of great need, his practice kicked in, and he was able to change a habitual way of behaving, which had caused, had very serious consequences in his life. And that, in that moment, he shared that with us. And he said, you know, I'm amazed myself, but this is really, I think, a new way for me. And I, I... I was very moved as I heard it because, well, he was, let's just say, he was not someone who you normally, <laughs> yeah. he was a pretty down-to-earth hard hat, <laughs> but he, he himself experienced the, the, the power of one mindful breath. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that story. It's really, it's really powerful. The power of a single moment, right? In one moment, your life can change. You can either get married, you can, you know, win something, you can experience a transformation as we're seeing over here. So one moment can really, really change your life. Linda, based on what we've spoken about so far, for listeners who want to take some action, based on what we've shared, what is that one action step you'd like to recommend for them? Well, I would suggest that they practice mindfulness. Uh, and there's there are some very good resources on the Internet. There are... Um, uh, um, mindful. For example, I would suggest your, your your beginners or people who haven't done this, start with a mindful breathing exercise. Uh, perhaps 10 minutes or 15 minutes. There are guided meditation. If they just put in mindful breathing into Google or something, they'll find some very good teachers who are making their um, audios available for free. I'd also suggest that for inspiration, they might want to buy a book, um, a, a good book about mindfulness. A very excellent introduction by John Kabat-Zinn is called "Wherever You Are, Where You Go, There You Are," and that's a very accessible and beautifully written 
introduction to mindfulness practice and try it out. See if it's something that might be meaningful in their lives. Another very simple mindfulness practice is mindful walking. Perhaps next time either one goes out in the woods or decides to climb the stairs at work. Just really becoming aware of each step, feeling the ground or the step under one's foot, feeling those sensations, being aware of the body in movement, just consciously directing the awareness to whatever one is doing. Some people practice mindfulness when they're ironing Mm. or when they're cooking. Um, one of my earliest mindfulness practices is when I went off to a Zen retreat and I was assigned to the kitchen and I practiced cutting carrots. I didn't actually, we didn't use the word mindfulness in those days, <laughs> but cutting carrots one by one and just really getting into that. Um, we can take very simple but deeply meaningful practices. Maybe another wonderful book is Thich Nhat Hanh's book called The Miracle of Mindfulness. Uh, that's a, a book that introduced a lot of people to mindfulness meditation. And he describes eating a cookie mindfulness mindfully in the book, which is very beautiful and very sweet. So it's not about running off to meditation center and, you know, having to dive in and start meditating for an hour a day. Although, if eventually that's your choice, that might be wonderful. But it's much more about bringing the attention to everyday things, which I think most of your practitioners, most of your listeners will be able to practice. And then reading a bit and perhaps practicing mindfulness of breathing uh, as a 5 or 10 minute, eventually perhaps 20 minute exercise, maybe something people can say, is this this for me? And if they are, then I would recommend perhaps checking into a course. There are online courses. There are courses at centers. Because when we're in a group together, it can be very, very supportive. One of the elements of stress is that people have become more and more isolated. Yeah, they're online a lot or they're at home a lot or they're working 12 or 14 hours a day. But actually in their social contact and in their being with people in a non-work or non-striving way um, has seriously deteriorated the amount of time that we simply practice being together. We're doing a lot together, but we're not often being a lot together. So if people are so inclined, it can be very, very supportive to participate in the course. So Action Tribe, to access today's show notes, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 206. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 206. Explore the vast traditions of yoga with the Gaia original series, Yogic Paths. Filmed across India, the 13-episode series captures the beauty of mystical Indian landscapes and never-before-seen ashrams while taking the viewer on a journey through the many traditions of yoga. While the practice of physical postures called asanas is most well-known in the West, understanding the full scope of this rich and varied tradition gives meaning and power to the yoga that we know today. Action Tribe, since you're listening to this show, it's clear that you are interested in topics such as chakras, yoga, and self-realization, and you know exactly where to go for audio content and interviews. And I sure hope you feel this way about our show, My 7 Chakras. But where do you go if you want a streaming TV video service with the same values and similar content? The answer is Gaia.com. To start watching this show, The Yogic Paths, as well as get your first month at Gaia for just 99 cents, visit Gaia.com forward slash My 7 Chakras. That's G-A-I-A.com forward slash My S-E-V-E-N-C-H-A-K-R-A-S. 
The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss and found a way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, with gentleness and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Now this is an amazing quote by Elizabeth Ross and this quote was shared by Raquel Gonzalez who is in our Action Tribe Facebook group. Action Tribe, I've read somewhere that danger has a purging effect on our souls. When things are normal, we tend to take things for granted. At first, it feels like we're enjoying life, but if things are just the same, life feels dull and monotonous. Challenges, defeats, suffering has a way of taking us down the white waters of life and making us fight back, come back to the surface. And if you really think about it, they don't come with a warning sign. Many times they come out of nowhere. But for those who come out alive from such a challenge, these people start looking at life in a whole new light. More gratefulness, more appreciation for life and overall more compassion for the beings around them. So challenge is not necessarily a bad thing. It helps you grow. So Linda, could you talk? Talk to us about a time when you faced a difficult situation. Talk to us about how you got into it and then what steps did you take to come out of it? Well, I can talk about a situa- situation which actually allowed me to create the power of mindfulness meditation about three, three years before I actually began to practice and teach it. I um, also experienced a health challenge in 1988. I, for the first time, experienced something called tinnitus, which is uh, usually described as a ringing of the ears, ringing in the ears, or hearing sounds in the ears all the time. And um, tinnitus is known, and I experienced it myself, to be very, very debilitating. Um, I, My own experience was that I felt I could not get away from the noise in my head. Uh, I would describe the noise in my head to be similar, and that's what the doctors also told me, to be similar to standing by the ocean with a hurricane and winds of 200 miles an hour, uh, and that's how loud it was. I had a serious effect on my health. I couldn't sleep anymore. My family life really deteriorated. I was irritable all the time. I was angry. I wanted to be on my own. I really didn't know how I was going to um, continue to go on, really. And I'm not the only one. Rates of depression and other kinds of uh, illnesses among tinnitus patients in the beginning is very, very difficult and very high. And I was introduced by what was not called a mindfulness meditation in those days, but nevertheless, uh, my Zen teacher introduced me to an exercise where for the first time, rather than fighting the sounds and struggling with them, I actually allowed myself to hear them. And I realized that for two years I'd been investing in amazing struggle, fighting what was happening, rather than acknowledging that it was there, but that there were possibilities of living with it. I thought my life had ended. And in fact, I realized my life was not the same, but a still a rich and rewarding life could be possible if I would just let go of all the anger and distrust and other kinds of things that had developed in this tremendous struggle that I had. So I talked earlier about one of the influences of my life is that I would approach things in a very hard and tough way. And I learned through this meeting of tinnitus, um, I still have tinnitus today, but I no longer am driven or no longer that my life is determined with it. I live with my tinnitus, which is a part of my life, but is um, not poisoning my life. 
as it did. And I would say that the mindfulness practice that I learned then and continue to learn had a lot about learning to, as I said from the quote with Martin Buber, learning to meet life rather than run away from it. So Linda, for those who are intentfully, mindfully listening to your really inspiring story, by the way, thanks for sharing. But for those who are listening, what is it one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners? I don't know. The first thing that comes up is because you mentioned it before. Um, there is no such thing as boredom. I once read that boredom is an absence of attention. Boredom is turning away from life um, and losing ourselves in a kind of a trance that perhaps things are not going our way. And so we tune out. But when we tune out, and when I tuned out, which I did for quite a large part, quite a part of my life, um, I really miss the, the, both the wonder and the joy as well as the difficulty that life can be, but I miss living. And and I miss the opportunity of um, accepting the gifts that life can offer me. Now, they don't always come the way I want them. And you talked earlier about action takers being able to work with, with difficulty, with, with blocks, with challenges. Um, and, for example, I... I, I often try to talk about learning opportunities rather than challenges. Just shifting your vocabulary about something. It, it's not lackadaisical. It's not meant to be soppy or, you know, whatever, polyamorous. But it does really invite us to be in our life and our way, in a way, where we go, and I quote a participant of an MBSR program, to go mm-hmm. from existing to living and to go from living to really needing whatever there is in this life that can offer me and that I can offer as well, that there is truly a communication on all levels going on. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that story with us. For those who want a recap, I'm going to do a recap. You shared that you once experienced a health challenge called tinnitus, ringing of ears, which I'm sure is not an easy situation to deal with at all. As you described, it was like a hurricane that you experienced in your ears 24-7, and that had an effect on your food intake, your family life, your mental balance, your stress levels, and everything was challenging for you because of that situation that you were in uh, at a certain point you were introduced to meditation your perspective changed that had the effect on you 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 changed the way you looked at that situation and instead of fighting the noise like you mentioned you began acknowledging it and then dealing with it you found a reward as you mentioned so wonderfully so eloquently you found a reward in the situation that you were in and you've mentioned also that you still experience this the the same ringing but then you you've started looking at things in such a different way uh that is beautiful and i'm sure that that perspective has had an effect in other areas of your life as well so uh, it's really inspiring especially for those listeners who are going through a health challenge right now so thanks a lot for choosing to share this story with us linda yes thank you let me ask you this question are you enjoying this show so far because i am really really enjoying the conversation that i'm having but let me ask you this are you do you consider yourself a talented person because chances are if you are taking the time to listen to this episode until now then you have some special talents within you which is awesome but based on what i have seen in life so far talent is not just enough 
talent is energy but only potential energy to convert that potential energy to results you also need to take action which means execution and the one thing that will help you get to execution is a healthy level of curiosity and wonder like we're learning today curiosity makes you ask questions questions if asked correctly get you the right answers answers give you the direction and direction combined with the action will get you the results and it's not just me who's saying this we're learning the power of curiosity through linda who observed uh, the actor doing the wonderful tai chi poses and that sort of uh, she took action and then learned tai chi and went on to qigong and then zen meditation and you know she's here you know uh, sharing such stories with us and also albert einstein he himself once said that i have no special talent i am only passionately curious and this quote is by the way shared by Bradley Sharbono also one of our action tribe facebook members so linda as on today could you tell us what is your life's calling i think my life's calling uh, is to be a teacher and interestingly enough my name is lerhal which is my maiden name it's the name i inherited from my father and only only years later did i find out that the translation of the word lerhal means head teacher. Oh really? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so I was born I was born with a name that actually I only found out what it meant when I was 30 years old and I had already been teaching for 20 years. Um I love I love having the privilege and the honor to be able to introduce people whether it's tai chi, qigong in in my early days I used to be an English and theater teacher when I was a high school teacher uh, when I was quite young. It doesn't matter really what it is although I I do have a special place in my heart for meditation and for tai chi and qigong. But I love as you say together curiously discovering, delving, deepening and also watching the kind of yeah, insight that can be possible. Now it's not my insight but being able to share with people particular practices or or uh, exercises can really help people to become their own teacher and that is my goal not to be the teacher but to simply be a conduit or a vessel we say in then practice to support people to really um their own teacher you might call it action taker i don't know i don't use that terminology but i, I have a sense perhaps of where you're going to really allow people to self empower themselves in a way that will allow them to harness their vitality and at the same time uh be really a part of this life and whatever life as a family member as a community member as a as a as an employee or as a as a worker um to really be able to to be part of what that is to connect again going back to Got it, got it. So, Action Tribe, this is a moment for all of us to realize that there are no coincidences. The name that you've been given and the family that you were born into might, in fact, directly relate to your purpose in life. And as we are finding out today, you know, Linda took the time to understand what her last name meant, and she found out that it was it really meant teacher. In fact, head teacher. So. Take some time to understand if you've not already what does your name and last name mean and you will be surprised if you've not found out already that this is a sign. In my case my last name means Jaykumar which is victorious warrior and my name Aditya means
means sunshine and as we speak i have sunshine pouring in from my window <laughs> so you know there are no coincidences so linda uh, you've shared so many things about your life so far so many wonderful stories that blended wonderfully into the life that you're living right now what is it one defining moment that really changed your life that one defining moment whether it's a book that you read or an interaction that you had what is it one defining moment oh boy i've had so many <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess I guess I can share um, one that might be meaningful for your. It, it just comes up, but maybe because I was working on a part of my book and I read it. But anyway, um, when I was training to be uh, a teacher in a particular tradition of Zen, I was feeling very insecure. I had been asked to become uh, the head of a sitting group of a Zen community in my country. And although I had many years' experience as a teacher, I suddenly felt very insecure, and all of a sudden felt I know nothing. I can't even take care of myself. How am I going to teach anybody else? And I really went into a kind of a great period of self-doubt, which I kept to myself and didn't share with my teacher. But after a while, and I tend to be persistent. I think it was about two years. <laughs> I finally decided to bring it up. And I mentioned that I was feeling so inadequate and so um, not trusting myself. And I've written about this in my book, so I feel it's okay to share it like this. And um, I just said at some point, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And he was silent for a moment. And then he turned around and says, it's because you don't know that I trust you. It's because you don't know that I trust you. And at that moment, I had such a deep, deep experience of coming home because I understood that that being willing to acknowledge that I didn't know it all, not setting myself up as an expert, not trying to pretend that I was a master or whatever, but simply doing the work I could do. With it. Certainly, I was a, I had a, a level of experience, but being open and honest was the best kind of teacher that I could be, and not trying to be. Some, and through that grew true confidence, through that grew true knowing, because I no longer thought I had to know this and that. I just worked step by step and truly was much more accessible and embodied a spirit which also later supported the people who I worked with. So that is one of the defining moments of my life. And that was after being a, t- a teacher for 20 years. Five years. There are points in our training where we have to let go of mastery to find the true mastery. Wow. Thanks a lot for sharing that perspective and that wisdom with us. And with that, we've arrived at the last section for today's show, which is called the Wisdom Round. which comprises of four questions that give our listeners bite-sized nuggets of wisdom so that they can take action in their lives. So, Linda, what is the best advice that someone has ever given you in life? Keep it simple. Got it. Name a personal habit that keeps you going. Making sure that I take my medication in the morning. All right. What is your morning routine like? What do you do during the first two hours of your day? I wake up and look out the window because I love seeing the outdoors. Then I do some bathroom things. And then I like to get a cup of tea uh, and come and just sit quietly for a while. Sometimes I might read an inspirational book. I have completely cut out doing any kind of work or doing any kind of 
uh, things in those first few hours. I try to do things that are inspiring for me, whether it's reading or, and then I'll have a period of meditation. And I, I take time to make a, a small but breakfast which is pleasing, just practicing mindfulness of arranging the food. And um, I try to use those first two hours in the morning as a way of um, energizing my spirit, but also just being being present because the quiet morning hours are so wonderful. Now, when I was a young mother and my baby was up and screaming, it wasn't always possible. But still, I always tried to, to find moments where I could just settle into being right where I was, even if I wasn't doing anything in particular. Sometimes I just would do a looking out the window meditation to just soak in um, what was around me. I hope that's helpful. Oh, totally, it is, I'm sure. Name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today. Oh, yes. When Things Fall Apart by Kayla Shogun. Perfect. We'll note that down in our show notes so that our listeners can find it. Action Tribe, I know how much you love our book recommendations. And I know that many of you purchase these books as soon as you hear them shared. And that's why Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can check out their amazing service. Now, in case you don't know, Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. So you can use it on your device, including bestsellers like the Chakra System by Anadia Judith, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash MSC. Once again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash MSC to grab your free audiobook and start listening to your book right away. So Linda, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your stories, and for talking to our listeners about what is possible. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and tell us the best way we can find you online. I'm deeply grateful for the love of my family that I receive from them and that I'm also able to share with them. And my family is my immediate family, my husband and daughter and brother, but also I extend that to the wonderful students with whom I have the privilege of um, sharing meditation, Zen meditation, as well as other forms. Family in the largest sense of the word. I'm deeply grateful to have that experience. And how can we find you online? There are two places. One is to go to the website of the Institute that I direct. It's www.instituteformindfulness.org. Or I'll just say instituteformindfulness.org. And the other special uh, thing which is close to my heart, heart is called the Mindfulness-Based Teacher Project. Mindfulness-Based Teacher Project. It's a podcast series that I've created, which is freely accessible, uh, to support teachers of mindfulness, uh, mindful movement, meditation teachers, but many, many people who do not teach any of these things have said they've been deeply inspired by some of the teachings and stories and a lot of storytelling. And I hope that might be a benefit to your listeners in their journey. Wonderful. We'll have both these links up in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for coming onto our show, talking to us about power of mindfulness and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.